I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me in the second and third segments of today's program will be returning guest, Mr. David Skarika. David is the publisher of the Addicted to Profits newsletter. Had David on in March when he forecast, along with so many other people, that we would have a bull market in precious metals. And that's exactly what's happened. Now, the economy, as many of you undoubtedly are aware, just officially experienced the worst quarter de- quarterly decline in U.S. history. I mean, it's never been this bad. The economy declined about 33% quarter over quarter, and I would expect that that will be revised a time or two. Now, that's not that surprising given that we had significant lockdowns, significant business disruptions in response to the coronavirus situation. Now, just as expected, in my view anyway, will be more stimulus coming from Washington. In fact, it's already being discussed. In fact, the HEROES Act passed the House. Uh, It will not pass the Senate. Uh, The HEROES Act was a $3 trillion package. The Senate recently passed their own version of a stimulus package with a price tag of a trillion. So it's probably safe to say that the next stimulus package will be somewhere between $1 and $3 trillion in spending. Now, as we also all undoubtedly know, there is no money to fund another stimulus package. So where will the funding come from? Well, the funding will come from the same place the funding for the last stimulus package came from. More money will be created from thin air. Now, you don't have to be an economist. You don't have to be well-versed in the area of finance to realize that this will be bullish for metals and bearish for the U.S. dollar long-term. Now, the U.S. dollar, as measured by the U.S. dollar index, is already declining significantly. Back on March 20, the U.S. dollar index stood at at 103. Presently, it stands about 10 points lower. So let's just say the U.S. dollar index is down about 10% in four months. Now, what's really interesting is that the U.S. dollar index does not measure the absolute purchasing power of the dollar. If you want to measure the absolute purchasing power of the dollar or the real inflation rate, I would argue that you need to look at the price of gold. See, the U.S. dollar index measures the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar against the purchasing power of the fiat currencies used by the six major trading partners of the United States. So in four months, the dollar has lost about 10% in purchasing power when compared to the purchasing power of the fiat currencies used by the six major trading partners of the U.S. In other words, 
All these other currencies that are also being devalued are just being devalued at a slower rate. Or to put it another way, the dollar is being devalued at a much faster rate than these other currencies. That's why we're seeing food inflation month to month, or one of the reasons we're seeing food inflation month to month, increasing at 4 and 5%. Now, a 10%, a nearly 10% move, I should say, to be accurate, in the devaluation of a currency compared to other currencies is huge. You just don't see fluctuations at that great a percentage level ever historically. Now, it seems clear that moving ahead, given the talk going on in Washington, that the current policy of money creation will continue. I mean, what is the other choice? The other choice is to not continue to print money. Now, if that happens, we will see a deflationary end result not unlike the one we saw in the 1930s. Now, there are many analysts who appear on this program whose opinion that I respect who still hold to the view that the deflationary outcome will be the most likely outcome. And it seems to me that we will see that for a while. But it also seems to me that we may be past the point of no return when it comes to money creation. I mean, going all the way back to the financial crisis in 2008, I wrote a book shortly after that in which I outlined the fact that based upon the fact that the Fed was embarking on this policy of easy money, of creating money literally out of thin air, we would have to see one of two economic eventualities. One would be a deflationary outcome. Deflation occurs when debt reaches the system's ability to service the debt or handle the debt. Once the system reaches that level, you see debt now that has to be purged from the system, and that's deflation. The other eventuality that I talked about was that the Fed would just continue to print money until confidence was ultimately lost in the currency, and we would have an inflationary or hyperinflationary outcome. Either outcome involves a reset. Now, you may hear that term frequently. What is a reset? Well, a reset occurs when unsustainable economic conditions exist. A reset occurs when unsustainable economic conditions exist. Presently, debt levels in the private sector and on the balance sheets of every level of government, I should say nearly every level of government, are totally unmanageable. At the federal level, debt and unfunded liabilities are now well in excess of $100 trillion. In fact, past guest here on this program, Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff, says the fiscal gap of the United States is in excess of $200 trillion. It's hard to fathom that amount of money, but... Third grade math has you concluding that this debt and these levels of liabilities, unfunded liabilities, will never be paid. And yet, 
the federal government continues to spend at levels never before seen. That begs the question, why? Well, reversing the spending trajectory. If you quit printing and spending, you get a deflationary 1930s-style reset. We are in an election year. What are the chances of that? Can we say slim to none? So the politicians in the Federal Reserve are doubling down in an effort to avoid that outcome by doing the only thing they know how to do, spend and print to fund it. This course of action, if it continues, assures the reset will be inflationary or even hyperinflationary. Now, you have heard me here on this program for a very long time. In fact, going back more than six years, I have been suggesting that many investors would be well-served to begin to add precious metals to their portfolio. Now, as time has passed and the likelihood of an inflationary outcome has increased, I have suggested that metals holdings also Increase For many investors, holding up to 20% of a portfolio in precious metals might be advisable. Make sure you get some advice for your situation. Now, what will the coming reset look like? Well, I'm going to explore that in the fourth segment of today's program. I recently talked about it on a client-only webinar and did a significant amount of research as to what might happen. What is this going to look like, and how will you be affected, and what should you do with your money now? I'll be talking about that in the fourth segment of today's program. In the meantime, if you would like to educate yourself, if you would like to become better informed, I would encourage you to go to our website, which is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. And I would encourage you to sign up for our Portfolio Watch newsletter where we discuss these things on a weekly basis. The free newsletter is delivered to you every Monday night at 5. And if you'd like to go back and listen to the podcast version of this program, that is also available at the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. And this month, I'm making available to you the book that was published back in 2015 that really forecast where we are today. Now, certainly, it was impossible to forecast COVID-19. However, the pandemic has really revealed what was already broken. Debt levels were at unsustainable levels. Uh, Money printing was already occurring at levels that were unsustainable, and now it's taken the next level. And in the book, which is really more relevant now than when it was published, I talked about these two outcomes. And I talk about strategies you might consider to protect yourself. So if you'd like to get a copy of the book for free, visit NewRetirementRulesBook.com. That's NewRetirementRulesBook.com. Just let us know where to send your copy of this free book, and we will be glad to do that. The website, again, is NewRetirementRulesBook.com. And if you'd like to learn more and subscribe to our free newsletter, I'd encourage you to go to the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and sign up for that. All you need is your name and email, and we'll be glad to send that out to you every week as well. 
I'll be back after these words with my special guest today, Mr. David Skarika. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tuberg, and joining me on today's program once again is returning guest David Skarika. Uh, David is the publisher of the Addicted to Profits newsletter. I would encourage you to check out his work. Uh, his website is addictedtoprofits.net. That's addictedtoprofits.net. And David, welcome back to the program. Uh, thanks for having me. So, David, uh, in your newsletter, um, what are you telling your readers now as far as how all this easy money uh, being literally created by the, the Fed and other central banks around the world uh, are affecting markets? Well, we have kind of a unique approach in that um, obviously I've been, uh, we've been in gold and silver and the whatnot, but we're, what I think kind of makes us unique is that I have through my contacts being in that industry for a number of years, uh, access um, to, you know, private placements and, and deals and that sort of thing. So like the credit investors who subscribe to my publication, um, we've been buying those and a few of them have done really well. Um, so I'm kind of in the, uh, in the smaller miners, you know, I still own some large caps and the whatnot, but obviously the precious metals, and I even think we've seen this kind of upturn in the, in the, in the base metals, which I think is interesting because the economy is not really showing signs of, of the recovery or even a U recovery, a, a, you know, um, a, but maybe because of all the money printing, all the stimulus, we will see some form of um, 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 stagflation. So obviously, yeah, to be in the, in the gold and precious metals, uh, I think even some of the base metals are okay. I would like to see a bit of a pullback in those because um, I do think the market will roll over and that could short-term hit some of those base metals. But I think that's a buying opportunity because again, if you have some kind of pullback in the market and it's obvious maybe that the economy isn't coming right back up and there's more stimulus, I think that could lead to this kind of stagflationary um, sort of environment because of all the debt that's out there, both personal, government, and uh, corporate, um, I think the central banks and the whatnot are going to do kind of whatever it takes to avoid some kind of big, you know, debt crisis, um, which you know, like like similar to like say happened in two thousand eight. So, Dave, when you look at you know central bank policy and you state that they're going to do whatever they can do to avoid another debt crisis, when you look at debt levels in the private sector and the public sector, they are off the charts. And it seems like there are only two possible economic outcomes here. One, they allow a debt crisis to occur, or two, they, they, they try to paper over that problem, which creates a, a hyperinflationary environment. Do you see it differently than that? No, see, but like, there are kind of unique uh, circumstances in each form of debt. Obviously, the government, they can just print their own money to pay for their own debt, you know, um, you know QE or whatever you want to call it. And then in the corporate market, people are talking about the, the Fed buying corporate bonds. That's not really the big deal. If you go look what happened in the first quarter, the bigger deal was actually the Fed. Um, um, uh, actually, they, they, they opened up a facility where you could go borrow from the Fed and corporate debt went up like crazy. Basically, it was companies trying to get cash on their balance sheets, you know, via the borrowing at a very low interest rate to kind of shore up balance sheets until things uh, hopefully turn around. So I think what would happen more than likely is instead of at the corporate level, instead of seeing mass bankruptcies, what you could see is these companies just essentially borrowing from the Fed using that to pay off, say, their own own debt, and then they can just old debt and keep rolling it over. But the problem is, if the economy doesn't get better, 
what happens is these companies can stay solvent, but they almost become like zombie companies, right? They almost become like um, they're just using that, that, that Fed facility to, you know, to keep from going under, but, you know, they're not making any money. They won't be doing any investments in R&D or, you know, in their businesses, and they'll just kind of be zombie companies. And I guess that's kind of similar to what happened in Japan um, in the 90s. That, you know, that was more just their banking sector, but, um, uh, you know, you just had this, this zombie economy because um, interest rates were so low, co- companies could keep alive. And then finally, at the... Um, at the uh, uh, at the personal level, that's where it becomes the most difficult. You know, mortgage debt, credit card debt, student debt, etc. Because this, the small individual doesn't really have that ability to borrow from the Fed like the government or the big corporations do. So that is where you can see more of kind of the bankruptcies and um, and the whatnot. So um, I think that then uh, they'll try to inflate their way out. But again, at the personal level, an individual level. That's going to be a lot more difficult than the corporate government level because the corporate governments kind of have that ability to borrow from the central bank where the small guy really doesn't. And the small guy is just kind of dependent on these little bailouts that the federal government is giving, and they can't afford to give those forever, even with you know, the debt as low as it is, or the, sorry, the interest on the debt as low as it is. Well, if you're just joining us, we're chatting with uh, Mr. David Skarika. He is the publisher of the Addicted to Profits newsletter. You can learn more at addictedtoprofits.net, and I would encourage you to check that out. So, David, how do you see uh, the the economic recovery or non-recovery, if that's your view, playing out here over the next year or so? Well, it is kind of difficult because the thing is because you know, this this is – been brought on uh, obviously by this pandemic. Now, let me state that uh, I've written a couple books. Um, I wrote them in like kind of the mid-teens, like around 2015 or so, st- talking about how we were going to have another debt crisis, another downturn in the economy. And I think all that COVID did was really expose how leveraged things were, but it was kind of the trigger. So um, obviously, I think that when either the the, um, the virus plays a co- its cor- course, and if you go look at the history of these pandemics, they tend to last a year or two. So either like next year, or tw- you know, you'll see some kind of recovery, or maybe some vaccine or the whatnot. Um, so that could cause like a short-term kind of blip in the market. But I think what's going to happen on the on the um, in a short-term recovery is that structurally now the economy has changed. Again, a lot of this excessive debt-based uh, economy, th- these things are all kind of over with. And um, I think when we come through the other side of it, we're going to see, hey, this. What I think a lot of people are just expecting, oh, you know, COVID will finish and we'll go back to the way it was. And I think we're going to see we're now into structurally more high unemployment. Um, obviously, taxes will have to go up at some point, too, to pay for all this debt that's being issued. So I think we're going to see a much weaker economy going forward. And if you go look at what's interesting is a lot of emerging markets, because, again, they don't have the debt, especially at the corporate and personal levels, that – we have in the developed world, I think we could get another scenario where those really outperform um, longer term uh, going forward. So, um, so I think, I think that's, that's kind of um, the scenario we're playing with too. And then there's obviously there's a political side, especially what's going on in the States right now uh, to all this too, which could factor into the strength of the economy coming out of this. And I think the, the big issue will be, just the size of the national debt um, and it'll give the, the government much less 
leeway coming out of this, you know, and especially if you kind of move more to the left and you have more like big government programs at a time when the debt is exploding, I can't see that being good longer term for the dollar or for the U.S. economy. And Dave, when you look at the U.S. dollar index, which measures the purchasing power of the dollar against the trading or many of the major trading partners of the U.S., uh, it has absolutely tanked in the last few months. Do you see that trend continuing, or is this just uh, uh, kind of they're just leading the race to the bottom for the time being? I think everyone's kind of like going. The problem is there's no really solid currencies right now. You know, even even Switzerland, which would have always been seen kind of the mainstay currency, you know, and most stable. Like their their central bank is notorious for having these huge stock positions in Apple and Amazon, just basically printing money and having this huge stock portfolio, right? So even they're not as backed uh, as they once were. So um, you know, you know, but so it's kind of a race to the bottom in all of them. But I think um, the U.S. I think what's being shown here is. There's definitely structural flaws, more so. And what's kind of ironic, if you go kind of look just what's going on again on the political side, and you didn't know what country you were looking at, a lot of people talked about how when there was a big downturn, the euro would fall apart. It looks like more like the U.S. is going to fall apart than Europe is, right? So I think you're going to see that. And where that comes economically is probably for the first time in a long time coming out of this, I think the eurozone might actually grow faster than the U.S. And that's why you could see, again, uh, that relative growth lead to maybe more upside in the euro. And the euro of 116, 117, still a pretty, you know, low level in its historical range. You know, it got up to like 150 before the financial crisis. I mean, got, it touched 160 briefly in 2007, 2008. So, you know, it, it could definitely um, uh, continue to rally. Now, again, usually when you have this, like uh, these little liquidity problems, the dollar tends to catch a bid. So if we do see another downturn in the stock market, that could cause a short-term bounce. But I think that bounce would kind of be your last attempt to get out. Because again, if you look at relatively the size of the stimulus, the size of the deficit, the size of the debts, because the U.S. is kind of abusing its power as the global um, reserve currency, everything they're doing is much bigger on a relative basis. Like you know, Europe announced uh, $850 billion um, a stimulus, right? Well, the U.S. is announcing these stimuluses, stimuluses of two, three trillion, maybe another trillion. Um, I think both Trump and, and Biden, whichever one wins, will do another few trillion. Uh, Biden will call it the green economy. Trump will call it like infrastructure. So I think that on a relative basis, they're kind of outspending all these other countries so much. You're going to continue to see this to kind of decline in the dollar. And I, and I hate to say this, but it really does. If you know anything about long term history, and I'm talking about kind of the rise and fall of empires, what's going on now in the U.S. really reminds me of, you know, what happened in the 20s and 30s in, in the U.K. or, you know, in the, the fourth century in Rome. It really is to me a real decline in kind of their global power and in, in them as a, the superpower of the world. And, um, and I'm not even talking about, I'm just talking pure economics and the debasement of the currency. That's what all of those um, countries do near the end. And they all do it. One of the way they do it is by ringing up these huge debts. Well, we are chatting today with Mr. David Skarika. He is the publisher of the newsletter, Addicted to Profits. In the next segment, I'll be chatting with David about his forecast for various markets. So stay tuned. We will be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tuberg, and we are chatting today with Mr. David Skarika. He is the publisher of the Addicted to Profits newsletter and a returning guest here on the program. 
You can learn more about his work at addictedtoprofits.net. So, David, let's just jump in kind of where we left off. Uh, you know, we were talking about the, the debasement of the, of the currency, in particular the U.S. dollar. Um, do you see, I've had other guests on the program that have talked about the fact that we are likely going to see major changes in, in currencies and how currencies uh, or, or current currencies are structured over the next several years. What would your take be on that comment? I would agree, because as much as I'm talking about this shift and more spending, I think at some point there'll be a re- reaction against that. And I do think we might go to a more hard money based international currency system after this, because, you know, if it's not just an isolated country like Argentina or Venezuela or Turkey having massive inflation, if it's kind of the whole world, especially the developed world, which has really avoided, you know, like a huge amount of inflation, um, you know, uh, for, for a long time, partly because we have all this cheap labor in the, in the developing world to, you know, keep down the price of our products um, um, since the really advent of globalization. Um, yeah, I, to- I totally see something like that happening. And I think because, you know, if you go look at it, you have China, but there's going to be really no clear cut um, um, economic power. You know, India is still going to have a, 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 a very high rate of growth for a while. It may surpass China at some point because they have much better demographics. You have places like Brazil, obviously the Eurozone, um, as much as, you know, people bash Eurozone because it tends to be socialistic. If you go look at, you know, because of Germany, and even Italy, the Eurozone is a huge exporter and actually runs a trade surplus and current account surplus. So I think you could see this kind of combination with maybe dollar being part of it, but with the currencies having to be backed by gold or, you know, um, uh, higher restrictions put on, you know, kind of like the Eurozone tried to do, but doesn't really doesn't really work. Um, but maybe at some point they'll be more um, uh, strict with it. You know, restrictions on the amount of spending you can do, et cetera, et cetera. So I could definitely see a new currency regime coming out of this. But I think you would have to see some kind of, um, um, you know, like 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 you know, like Bretton Woods basically started because you had the Great Depression and uh, World War Two. Well. I think you would need to see, you know, probably some something nasty and really bad happen, probably on the inflation front, before we come in, into a system like that. Yeah, David, let me jump in because you were on back in, um, I think it was March of this year, and uh, at that time you were bullish on gold and silver. That's obviously uh, uh, been a good forecast. Uh, where do you think gold and silver? go from here based on your analysis and research? Well, I'm still bullish. I'm obviously not as, um, like, I think at that time I was like really aggressively bullish because they got taken down and kind of that, um, or kind of the sell off and liquidation that happened in March when uh, the whole COVID really broke out and the lockdown started and the economy just came to a halt and, you know, silver, I think went down to 11 to $12 an ounce. And I actually bought calls on the SLV in our newsletter the day of the bottom. Now, not every trade you're going to be that lucky on. And then um, um, I'm just about to sell about half the position right now because uh, you know, they're, they're up like five, six X, you know. So and that's just calls on basically an ETF that cracks the metal, not even the leverage that you get in the stock. So I'm still bullish. I think right now we're having some technical difficulty with that 2000 area in gold and 25 area in silver, you know, both kind of round numbers. Numbers, um, that kind of more psychological than anything else. So, yeah, I'm still bullish because I just don't see this uh, stopping. Yeah, the amount of printed money. Um, and, and remember, in a way, you know, you think, oh, this is just the worst uh, part of this. But remember, 
in both the U.S., Canada, and a lot of Europe, we're seeing um, these inflated um, you know, unemployment insurance uh, claims or, or you know, money is given out, et cetera. And at some point, those are going to stop. And then that could hurt the economy really even more and can be more money printing. So right now, I think we're really in this breakout. And that breakout, if you go look at like years like the 2009 or 2003, you have years where the breakout can kind of last the whole year. And I think that's what we're doing this year in 2020 in gold and silver, you know? And um, so, so right now it's hard for me to be as aggressively bullish, but again, myself kind of uh, investing this in a different way, buying new deals, buying private placements. I can always find a new deal that is cheap rather than, you know, having to plow into Barrick or Newmont as they're, you know, as, as they're way off their, or way, you know, um, their, their, their lows of uh, March. So, I'm still bullish. Obviously, if you uh, own something, I would still own it um, and hold. But um, I, I'm kind of doing it in a different light in that I'm looking for kind of new investments and new deals, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the perfect example, and I'm not using this, uh, this is stock I'm just holding now. I would not recommend to buy here because right, it's gone up so much. But I have a little company called Galani Gold on my watch list that we bought at five cents. And the stock is now 33 cents. They have uh, two small uh, mines in Africa. And it's like, yeah, it's hard for me to recommend Galani at 33 when I was really bullish on it at five, right? So that's the kind of thing we've seen. So with me, it's like I want to find new deals. And we're so early in the cycle, in the up cycle, there's still new deals and new mines, which are cheap. I don't think that will be the case in a couple of years, but I think right now uh, I'm still bullish. And by the way, I really think this is different. People talk about the 70s or even the 30s, times when gold did relatively better than stock market. I think this really is this kind of shift and the kind of decline of the U.S. empire. And that is a lot different investment environment than, say, just, oh, the inflation of the 70s. And I think that makes the, the bull market in gold and silver kind of more ferocious. Do you have any upside targets for gold and silver that you're publishing? Uh, it's hard to know. Like, I do like the Dow to gold ratio, you know, where they meet roughly at one to one. You know, the Dow and gold ratio met like about 1,000 on the Dow, 800 on gold back in 1980. Uh, they met at both. Um, um, you know, uh, I think I think the Dow bottomed at around 40 to 50 and gold was 35 back in the 30s, you know. So something like that. But the problem is, again, how much money are you going to print? How much inflation are you going to get? Is it, you know, is it 20,000 on the Dow and 15 on gold? Is it 50 on the Dow? Is it like hyperinflation and 40 on gold? I don't really know, but I do think it's significantly higher than here. Remember, we are just breaking out of the 2011 high. And you go look at that chart. It was a beautiful six, seven year base after that, after that, or sorry, after that uh, 2011 high. And then, you know, this year we started to, to break uh, the resistance and now we're breaking out the high. So usually when you get something like that going on, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you broke um, 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 uh, the, the, the highs back in, um, uh, I think it was in 2008, you know, the market kept going up for another three years. So with that kind of big base and us just breaking out this multi-year high, I would think we have a, a few years left in this at the very least. And I don't know, maybe the, maybe the 220s ends up being like the 70s, you know, like the whole decade. You know, like um, you know, there would be a big setback in gold prices at some point in there. But it just could be this inflationary decade that where gold rises almost the whole decade. Like I said, I don't like to give price targets because I find myself I'm kind of nimble. And if I see time signs of frothiness, 
I'll, I'll, um, I'll get up, but I would definitely think at the minimum you're seeing, I think you're looking at 5,000 because then, you know, cause, and that would be with a more deflationary scenario that plays out, you know, and the Dow has, you know, a 60% bear market or something. So, well, let's talk about stocks because it, it seems that uh, there's not much participation in, in uh, the upside of the market at this point. We talked about that briefly before we started to record today. Uh, where do you see uh, stocks going here for the rest of the year? Yeah, the market is really interesting because if you go look at the S&P 500, it's something like six stocks are on, are on average up like 30 or 40%, and that's the Apples, the Amazons, et cetera. And the rest of the S&P 500, like the other 495, 494 stocks, are down 2% year to date. And then, of course, there's a lot of sectors like airlines or cruise, cruises, et cetera. They're down you know, 50, 60% year to date. So I, mean, I think the NASDAQ 100, again, the top six stocks make up over 50% of the index, which is higher than it was even at the 2000 top. When that when it set a record, then when all those big cap tech stocks are going higher, so um, you know it's it's just, it's a very thin rally. And if you go look at the charts, and I'm talking the long term charts of Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, etc., they're totally parabolic. And at some point, that bubble is going to pop in them. And you know they had that hearing, you know, the, you know kind of um, the monopoly type hearing in, on uh, Congress or Senate. So maybe the thing to pop it will be uh, maybe um, some politicians will try to break up a few of those companies, you know, uh, go to the Teddy Roosevelt way. Right. So, um, um, so at some point, I just don't know when that's going to happen. And because now you have the advent of all these Robin hood traders, they're just chasing those companies as well. And, you know, the, the, the hedge fund robots are kind of all programmed and they're, cause those stocks are going up all the momentum money is going into them. It's really a question of when those stocks kind of begin to decline and no one knows when that is. Now, you would think that, again, actually maybe the lessening of the pandemic would actually hurt them because those companies have all been able to operate, right? Well, you know, like Walmart has been able to open while a small mom and pop shop had to shut down. Um, you know, Google and Apple, everyone's on their phones, right? Netflix, everyone's watching Netflix because they're stuck inside. So you would think that maybe actually when things start to recover, that ironically could hurt those companies because they'll kind of lose this short-term monopoly they gained during uh, the downturn. I think it's going to be the second half of this year when two things happen. Uh, one, and for sure, I think is going to happen is the recovery is not going to be a V, and then the market has to wake up to that, and even those stocks will fall. And then the second one would be, and again, I'm not an overly political person when it comes to markets, but. I think now, you know, this is not the Democrats right now are not um, um, uh, Bill Clinton or even Obama. They're much more to the left. And if you go look at a lot of Biden's policies, very negative for the stock market, you know, much higher capital gains, taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think because of the populist movement, there also also could be maybe even um, uh, uh, a lobby to get rid of stock buybacks. So if it looks like there's a, you know, a Democrat wave is coming, I think a lot of people might just cash in gains and that could do it uh, as well. So. I mean, no one's looking at that right now, or these these Robin Hood traders sure as hell ain't worth looking at that. So I definitely think the second half of this year, when they're the realization that this recovery is not coming, and maybe with more unfavorable policies towards owning financial asset, assets are coming, I think that could really cause the market to roll over. And by the way, if you go look at market cap to GDP, because GDP collapsed in the second quarter, and the market you know, the S&P is really only about five, six percent off its all time high. 
market cap to GDP is now almost at a record level. So <laughs> the market is extremely, extremely expensive. Now, maybe because rates are zero and inflation is going to pick up, you can get a little higher multiple on the market because of that. But it's still very expensive. Well, our guest today has been Mr. David Skarika. His newsletter is Addicted to Profits. You can learn more at addictedtoprofits.net. David, nice to catch up with you. Uh, appreciate the update, and uh, we'd love to have you back down the road. Yeah, yeah, it would be great to be here. And I think the fall will be an interesting time, so maybe you know, by then maybe the market had rolled over and precious metals are even higher. You know? Yeah, well, terrific. Well, we will check back in with you then, and RLA Radio will return after these words. Welcome back. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, if you were with me for the first segment of the program, I talked about the fact that we are likely going to see a reset of some type. Now, a reset occurs, as I mentioned in the first segment, when unsustainable economic conditions exist. And presently, we have money printing, money creation that is certainly occurring at an unsustainable level. And we have debt levels in the private sector and in the public sector at every level of government that are also unsustainable. So in this segment, I want to talk a little bit about what this reset might look like and what you might want to think about doing to protect yourself. Now, I talk about this in depth in my August client newsletter, and one of the things that I think we're going to see happen over the next several years is I think we're going to see anywhere from a third to nearly half of all colleges and universities cease to exist. Now, Professor Scott Galloway agrees, top-tier universities with large endowment funds will probably be fine financially, but many second-tier universities and colleges that have limited endowments will unlikely survive. In fact, as I point out in my August client newsletter, there are already entire campuses for sale in the United States right now at prices that would have been considered to be bargain basement prices just a year or two ago. The American Alliance of Museums published the results of a survey last week that was conducted among 760 member museums one-third of museum directors reported a high likelihood of the museum closing permanently within the next 16 months. Now, many small businesses devastated by lockdown orders have also closed, and now lockdown orders are again being imposed in many states, and a lot of small businesses that managed to weather the initial round of lockdown orders are now closing permanently. According to the New York Post, as many as one-third of New York City's businesses will never reopen. Of the businesses listed on Yelp, the review site, as being temporarily closed due to government-imposed lockdowns, 55% now convey they are permanently closed, never to reopen. Now, these developments are all deflationary, and in my view, will lead to another collapse in the banking system, which I believe is inevitable. Now, if you listened to the program last week, you heard my guest, Alistair McLeod, suggest something similar. And it is this banking system failure that ultimately may lead to a loss of confidence in the currency, 
which is always the path to an inflationary currency failure. In fact, Mr. McLeod wrote a piece about it in which he said, Governments and central banks can be expected to cooperate with each other to stop their currencies collapsing. But ultimately, it's a matter for the general public. While inflations have persisted for considerable periods, the final collapse, when the public realizes what is happening to money, in the past has typically taken between six months and a year. The German inflation 97 years ago started before the First World War, but its catastrophic phase can be identified as starting in May of 1923 and ending the following November. John Law's monetary collapse, which runs, according to Mr. McLeod, the closest parallel to that of today, ran from approximately February to the following September in the year 1720. Law experimented with money and used money printing to support financial asset values. That's the same thing as we are doing today. In fact, J.P. Morgan's CEO, Jamie Demon, had this to say on the topic. He said, the Fed's liquidity, bringing out the bazooka, is propping up stock prices as well as all other asset classes. Now, I track the Dow to gold ratio. This, in my view, is a much better way to determine the value of stocks. Now, if you're not familiar with the Dow-to-gold ratio, it's really simple to calculate. You just take the value of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and you divide by the price of an ounce of gold in U.S. dollars. Earlier this year, the Dow-to-gold ratio was around 19. Today it stands at about 13. That's a decline of more than 30% in the value of stocks when priced in gold, but Stocks are priced in dollars, so as dollars are devalued, the nominal price of stocks stay elevated. So I'm looking for the Dow-to-gold ratio, as we talked about with David Skarika today, to eventually reach two, or more likely one. Now, that seems crazy. Doesn't it seem crazy to think the Dow goes to 5,000, gold goes to 5,000? That might be a deflationary outcome or more of a deflationary outcome. Or the Dow's at 20,000, gold's at 20,000. That might be an inflationary outcome. And don't think this is historically unprecedented. In the 30s, the Dow to gold ratio reached two. In the early 1980s, it reached one when gold was selling for $850 an ounce and the Dow was also at 850. A similar relationship, in my view, is a likely outcome this time around, too. So, what should you do? I've got a resource available to you today. It's the New Retirement Rules Book. You can get it by visiting newretirementrulesbook.com, and we'll be glad to send you a complimentary copy of the book. In it, I talk about strategies you can consider to protect yourself, and also, interestingly, the book was published five years ago when the Fed was engaging in money creation, but not nearly to the extent as they're engaging in that activity today. So uh, the book was spot on in what was going to happen. Certainly is difficult to predict the when, but the strategies outlined in the book are still very applicable today. I would encourage you to go get your free copy at newretirementrulesbook.com. Also, if you uh, would like to get a copy of our weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter, it's available for free. All you need to do to get your copy is visit the website 
RetirementLifestyleAdvocates.com. The website, again, is RetirementLifestyleAdvocates.com. You can sign up for the Portfolio Watch newsletter there. You can also go back and listen to all the podcast versions of this program, including my interview today with Mr. David Skarika. Well, I will be back again next week with a very special guest expert who was on the program last year and predicted a significant decline in the U.S. dollar. Uh, I know you'll look forward to that conversation. Uh, So until next week, have a great week. I'll talk to you then.